0: Yes, take that for later, there we go, if you would like to turn to Luke chapter 11, that would be fabulous, and therefore you may have noticed we are now back in our Luke series, Uh, we've been on and off working our way through the book of Luke right from the start, a bit at a time, it's over a year now, 18 months maybe, stopping for certain moments. So we, we stopped briefly during our March prayer month, if you recall, as, as we do each year now. Every March we spend a whole month focusing on the subject of prayer. But for the first part of that, we continued in Luke because the passages we then reached, strangely enough, coincided perfectly with the subject of prayer. Andrea taught us about Martha and Mary, and what it means to sit at Jesus' feet. And then uh, Peter Strubitsky talked us about um, the Lord's Prayer as well. And then we focused on prayer in other ways. Going in and out. it's Well, um, is that coming through all right? If it goes in and out, let me know. Wave at me and I'll use the hand mic. Okay, see what happens for a moment. Um, and then we stop for Easter, but just before Easter, if you recall, Darren Blaney, the exiting Baptist minister from Herne Bay, is now moving to a church in Wales, and he came and shared with us and his chosen subject. Was strangely enough prayer, if you recall. Well, again, strangely enough, Luke chapter 11 from verse 5, we're going to be reading from a few verses from that in a moment. Uh, Again, this is still on the subject of prayer. Now, today, in a few moments, as um, Bob's already pointed out, we're going to be celebrating Joshua Stubitsky's Thanksgiving. That's when um, Pete and Vanessa, they, they um, dedicate their parent. They thank the Lord for Joshua and they dedicate um, their parenting to the Lord, uh, to the Lord for His help and His favour for Joshua's best interests. And today's passage actually also features a focus on child-parent relationships within the subject of prayer. Now, I've, I've always been a good sleeper. It's one of my many talents. Um, <laughs> I'm good at sleeping, it's just, sorry if you don't, sorry to make you feel bad, but it's one thing I do enjoy and I'm quite good at, sleeping. Uh, Generally, I get my eight hours, I'm a solid sleeper, not much will wake me up. Uh, But since my daughter arrived 18 years ago, um, my ears have always been on the alert. Ever since she was a little baby, I knew that voice. My unconscious sleeping brain went, something's happening next door. So whenever Amy was unwell, the slightest little cough or splutter I'm I'm not normally easily woken, but that tiny little sound, I'm awake. What's going on with my daughter? Is she okay? My my brain's always been immediately attentive to my daughter's voice. Or in wider family gatherings or at church, I'd hear her little voice on the other side of the room, or I laughed and go, that's my girl. Just immediately, your unconscious brain is attuned to that particular frequency, that particular radio channel. Her voice has become so familiar to my unconscious ear, and so immediately I'm looking to give her attention, even if I'm not aware I'm doing it, or even if she wants it Uh, sometimes. Dad, leave me alone. Uh, But my attention hasn't been to catch her out and things like that. It's been about, uh, as a father, it's about protection. Is she okay? Or provision, does she need anything? Or guidance or counsel, does she need help, and so on. And So, becoming a parent, and I'm by no means a perfect one, ask Amy, she'll, she'll, she'll fill you in. But in trying to be the best father I can be, that has meant an attentiveness, and availability, being attuned to her voice, and a desire for Amy to grow in character more than anything. And um, that's exactly what Stuart Bitsky is going to be standing here asking for God's help with in a little while. because That's because he, God, he is the ultimate perfect father. And He's the one from whom we receive not only the great example of fatherhood, he's the one from whom we receive the ultimate in fatherhood. He's one who is wholly attentive, who is wholly available, who is always quick to respond to his children's voice in love and provision and counsel and so on. And that relationship is at the very heart of prayer. We need to remember this. As God's people adopted into his family because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, prayer then transforms from a hopeful shopping list. Uh, can, I, can I have? That's not what prayer is. Prayer transforms from that kind of shopping list idea into a surefire family moment. Prayer has actually become the very air that we breathe. This is who we are now and this is who he is to us. And So we're going to look at today's passage and in this, we're going to discover that Jesus is teaching us this, this very truth, that prayer is a family affair. We're going to read from verse 5. Joe is going to come. Where's Joe? There he is. Joe's going to come and read it for us. We're going to go from Luke chapter 11 from verse 5 through to verse 13. Do you want to use this mic? Mate? Is that going to be
1: easier?
0: Yeah, I do. Thank you, mate.
1: Then Jesus said to them, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, uh, now how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him?
0: Mm. Awesome, thank you, Joe. We're going to dive into that in a little moment, but Jesus, we need to remember, Jesus has just been teaching the disciples about prayer. They said, teach us how to pray, and he teaches them what we would now call the Lord's Prayer. And in demonstrating that with the Lord's Prayer, which is basically a bunch of requests, isn't it? He therefore demonstrates how petition, asking, when out of the right heart posture, that is not a lower form of worship compared to celebration and gratitude, but they're born out of the same spirit as Pete was teaching us back in March. Yeah, we would, sometimes we can be thinking, oh, praise and thankfulness are first and foremost. We mustn't get it in the wrong order. We've got to start with thanks, and then we can ask him for things. Well, those are essential. Praise and thanksgiving are essential. Of course they are. But we're not dealing with a hierarchy of most valuable types of prayer. Yes, we need to ensure we are full of thankfulness as we pray. And if you look at, for example, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do it at the same time. And even in Psalm 100, uh, verse 4, another example, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And therefore, asking our Father in heaven for good things with the right heart posture, that is just as much an act of worship as anything else. Which is what Jesus demonstrates in the Lord's Prayer and beyond. And so the thankfulness and the requests, they need to be twins, not bigger and smaller siblings, if that makes sense. They're equal in value, and God loves it when we ask him for good things. He is the great, give, he's the great giver with a capital G after all, and he is the one from whom all good things flow. And there's the point. When it comes to prayer, it's, it's all about the who of who we are praising and petitioning, not about the what we're doing. That's the key thing about prayer, it's a family affair. As I've said before here, uh, he's Father God, not Father Christmas. I need to remember this. Father Christmas is a concept, now I don't want to spoil it for anyone here, but the concept of Father Christmas uh, is it's, it's, it's not relational, It's merely transactional. You write, once a year you write a letter, you hope you've been good enough, and maybe you get some presents at the end in, in, in response to that. That's how it works. Father Christmas is like a vending machine. Push the right buttons and you get what you want. Our Father in heaven, who is literally, because of Jesus, our Father for eternity. Romans chapter 8 tells us we can now call him Abba Father. Abba, meaning Papa Daddy. And call him Dad. The eternal, bigger than the universe God who made us, we can call him Dad. Abba. And that's forever. And so that's not about a yearly transaction, have I done it right and will I push the right buttons and get what I want? This is purely relational, this is a th- 24-7, 365 days a year, ongoing relationship with a dad who wants to give us good things, and he wants to see us grow into the people he's created us to be. And so, to let this seep into the disciples' bones, and therefore ours too, Jesus tells this story about... a guy banging on his mate's door at midnight because late at night needing food because this guy he's had a surprise guest turn up don't know what this guest thinks he's doing turning up at silly o'clock but there we go but because he's got no food he goes to another friend's house and he's banging on the door asking for some bread now we need to understand when Jesus is telling this story how they would have pictured that most homes in that context would have had one main living area for all their living Needs and therefore the bed would have been part of that, and the kids would have been with the parents. And so, he's risking waking the whole family up, not just dad who's staying up late, watching having a beer in front of the telly by the front door. This is this is one living area, and he's risking waking the whole family up. And so, the homeowner even says in the in, in Jesus' story, he says, My kids are in bed with me. But what are you doing banging on the door? Now, parents will know that. Getting your kids into bed can be an assault course of of negotiation, and coercion, and sometimes threats, and eventually it works, hopefully. Once they're in bed, woe betide anyone who's going to threaten to upset that fragile balance. Nobody move, they're asleep, do not breathe, stop it. So this supposed friend, this homeowner, he only has a change of heart Because of the man's nerve to turn up in the middle of the night, uh, possibly waking his wife and kids up, and then having the front to ask for bread in the first place at stupid o'clock. He's only doing it going, well, go on, here's some bread. If it will get rid of you, here's some bread. That's his heart. It's not even because he's a friend. It's because of his impudence. Here's some bread. Go on, go away. Just just, stop it. Don't wake him up. In contrast to that, Jesus simply states then, that if you ask your father in heaven, you will receive. Simples. Not because of your impudence, but because of your sonship and daughterhood. If you ask, you will receive. And then he goes on to say, if you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be open to you. He's eager, he's 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 ready to open the door almost before you've asked. He's he's ready. He's like, go on, ask. I'm here. Just ask. That's his heart, his natural inclination towards us as his children. Now, we need to note this isn't just about material things either. Uh, material things they aren't necessarily bad and they're good to ask for. You have food, clothing, heat, these are all essential. And even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us give us this day our daily bread. He says ask for it. But this isn't even about other things like safety and peace, and reconciliation, and justice, which are all good things, and which, which are very dear to God's own heart. He is a God of justice, after all. But we can aspire to have all those things, and be asking for them, and more, and yet still miss out on the greatest gift of all, God himself. Jesus says, at the end of this passage, verse 13, he says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So we just have to ask the question, why would we, as Christians, people who have had a glimpse of uh, Jesus in all his resurrected reality and power and glory, and John 14, he tells us, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. We've had a glimpse, the slightest glimpse of that, and we're like, I'm in. If that's who we are now, why would we not consider God himself to be the ultimate prize and the very top of our needs? More of you, Lord, even if I get nothing else. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. That should be at the top of our list all the time. And we're human, and it isn't always, is it? To ask God for things, things, is good. He tells us to. But to ask for more of his presence and our heart change is better. That's his priority. That's what I just want to focus on for the rest of my time here. Because we need to... For example, as we look through the Bible and we look at things that stop our prayers from being answered, that gives us a clue about God's heart and intent for us at the top of his list. For example, Hebrews chapter 5. I love this verse. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus is the Son of God, God himself. His prayers were heard because of his reverence. Many times that reverence affects our prayers. Honouring our parents is a core element of God's early blueprint for his people, Ten Commandments honour your father and mother it's there. and Jesus absolutely lived that out he absolutely honoured his father to an exemplary degree he was, he was um, we now therefore discover that honouring of his father that played a key part in his perfect relationship with his heavenly dad. I mean in his humanity think about this, in his humanity Jesus was, tempt, was tempted to not honour his father because the Bible tells us he was tempted in every way he was, on, he was tempted to not honour his father, but he did live that out. His character shows him being exactly who he was meant to be, who he actually was, reverent and obedient and faithful. He honoured his father in every way. And when we are not fully reverent or obedient or faithful, are we honouring our father in heaven in that moment? It's A simple question with a simple answer. I know I don't always do that. And that just shows where our heart's affections lie, and God wants better for us. So when we're asking for other things, it's like, yeah, but can we talk about this first? Another example, just look at this from a slightly different angle. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Another interesting verse. 1 Peter 3 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There. Live your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to them so that your prayers may not be hindered. There it is again. Husbands, how we treat our wives affects our prayers directly. Like any good dad, our father in heaven is saying to us, you've asked me for X, whatever it is, you've asked me for this, which is fine. And I'm happy to talk about that. But as your dad, I really need to sit you down and talk about the elephant in the room. How you, I don't know, how you talk about your wife in public or how you talk to your wife in private or how you dishonor her with your thoughts or the way you refuse to walk with her in understanding. That's gonna get in the way of, of me just making your own life easier and more fun the way you want, the way you're asking. so We can talk about those things another time, but in the meantime, this, this is drowning that out. We need to talk about this, it's about character. Now this isn't a transactional, well if I'm really, really good I'll get, I'll get X, Y, and Z. That's back to the Father Christmas transactional thing. That's not what this is, but this is a grace field. My father wants the best for me, and which, which is more than that is far more than I can ever fully grasp with my limited brain and easily distracted heart. But from God's viewpoint, rightly so, my character is far more at stake than my comfort. To so look at it from another way, if you um, when it when it comes to difficult circumstances that either we're struggling with or other people are struggling with, and we're praying for ourselves within it or others our Western brains immediately go to, dear God, will you stop those circumstances? Don't we? That is terrible. Please, Lord, will you bring an end to it? I'm really struggling. Will you stop this? That's what we do. But when you look at Paul's prayers for the church throughout the New Testament, invariably, nine, more than nine times out of ten, I've been, I've been counting them up, way over 90% of his prayers for the church are not about their difficult circumstances changing. They're about their knowledge of and growth in their relationship with their Father in Heaven. He doesn't pray generally. Now and again, he asks about, oh, I pray that this will happen so we can do this. But over 90% of them, he's not praying about a change of situation at all. He's praying about a change of heart. He doesn't pray, you're not having a great time. I'm praying it'll be over very soon. Keep praying for it. He doesn't do that at all. He just goes, you're not having a great time you're being persecuted and you're going through trials, I'm praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's glory while you go through this. That's what he does. Because he knows, he knew that something more vital was at stake and we need to pay attention to that. And so coming back to this example that Peter gives about marriage, about husbands honouring their wives, is we, we understand that God wants to talk to the husbands about their hearts first. What we think is important to us and what God thinks is most important are very often two different things, aren't they? And it just shows his Father's heart for us. Just a couple more before I finish. I mean, briefly, uh, Psalm 66 verse 18 and Isaiah 59, verse, couple of verses. In those, there is a general observation about our, just our sin effectively drowning out our cries to God so that he doesn't hear. It talks about, I cherished sin in my heart so you didn't listen to my prayers. It's just that God is so concerned about our sin and our being freed from its grasp that when we cherish sin in our hearts, that is so loud to God's ears, his primary concern becomes about that. He said, you want this, but I want you to live free from bondage. Can we talk about that first? The sin is just so loud in his ears. It's like, I don't want to talk about anything else that we dealt with this. It affects our prayers. It's not because he's uncaring. It's not because he doesn't want to give. It's because he knows what's better for us. One more example. Uh, Mark chapter 11. Mark 11. Where am I? Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you, your trespasses. Now we can struggle with this verse. We hear about it. Jesus talks about it after the Lord's prayer as well. Forgive so you'll be forgiven. Now, we need to understand what that's saying here. Now we've we've understood what the other verses are saying. We need to pick up Father's heart here. That judgment against another, unforgiveness, that clogs up our prayer prayer life uh, for the same reason. Now we can read that and go, yeah, I understand that. I'm really struggling with it but I understand what that means. We can apply that to our immediate circle of people we may have Friction with whatever that might be. Um, it just—I I know that person. Uh, they hurt me. I need to forgive them. We understand the concept of that. We can grasp that. We may still struggle with that, and for very good reason, we may still struggle with that. And that may, may be a process. May take time for you to walk through with God's help to do that. I'm not—I'm not dissing you. Know, you you just—you just do it. It's not always simple. It can be a real difficult thing. Understand that because of because of hurt, you need to walk through that with God's help. But it's an easy thing to apply to people we know who have hurt us, for example. But what about people that we don't know personally, who we're also meant to pray for, but we have a bit of a grudge against? Politicians, for example. Oh, sniggers. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. We know we're told to pray for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray for those in high positions. Pray for kings and people in high places. Pray for your leaders, whether you voted for them or not. Pray for them. But either we can therefore hear that verse and go, well, I'm just not going to avoid, I'm going to avoid praying for the ones that I struggle with. I'm going to pray for the ones I like, or we will pray for all of those in leadership positions. But it can become this kind of weird. We can try and fudge it a little bit, like that person turns my stomach. I'd never vote for them, and I cannot wait for them to be out. But in the meantime, uh, dear Lord, will you make them finally do the right thing for once? Do you know what I mean, though? That's not what we're meant to do. Praying through a grudge muddies our prayers and does not position our heart for humility and does not trust the one who raises up and unseats kings. For whatever reason, they're there for a reason right now. He allowed them to be in that position. He knows exactly what he's doing and we have to trust that. And if we're praying for a leader of our country or someone in cabinet or wherever it might be and you've got a grudge against them, that can affect your prayers for them. Bible tells us so because God knows something greater is at stake and we have to trust that Jesus is telling us that to hold bitterness or resentment against someone affects our prayers for them and affects our relationship with our Father if you're his if he's your Father through Jesus then you're always his that that will not change if you're his you're always his through him through Jesus, very God himself, as he took our place on the cross and carried our sin and our brokenness on our behalf and suffered the consequences so we don't have to, And as he rose again to, to life in complete and utter victory, he did that for us. And if, you, if you've accepted his sacrifice to set you free and his lordship to now lead you on into, into eternity, you get exactly that. You're his forever. That is unshakable. That is unbreakable. Freedom from the claws of sin and eternal life forever for good. That is unbreakable. You're his. But that relationship we now have with our Father in heaven while we're still here on earth that can become dysfunctional at our end sometimes because of our hearts. Does that make sense? And again, so therefore this is what it boils down to. God's primary focus is heart change before world change. Because world change will not change hearts we just get the easier circumstances we ask for, for example. Heart change will bring world change. Does that make sense? It's much more powerful, impactful, and long-lasting that way around. And our Father wants the very best for us because he's our dad who wants to give. And all this is to say that our Father in heaven more than lives up to that title. Not only does he want the best for us, He knows the best for us. And not only does He know the best for us, He is the best for us. That's who He is. So wrapping up, just like I said at the start, prayer is a family affair. And we all know how family fractures when parents are treated as vending machines, kids act entitled, when any family member is not considered or valued, Family fractures, doesn't it? And in the same way, we're now born again into into God's own family through Jesus. Therefore, let's embrace prayer the way it's meant to be. It's a place for his fatherhood and our sonship, our daughterhood, to flourish. Which is more than just presenting him with a shopping list of nice things we'd like. Because ultimately, the greatest gift we can and should be asking for and receiving is God himself, as Jesus points out. And he is ready and willing and able to give us good things, more so than you can imagine. But his favorite request is when we ask for more of him than his good things. And Jesus promises us, in verse 10, I'm going to read it again, he says, For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And we now know He's talking about himself through Holy Spirit. So I just want to ask, do you know God in this way? Have you asked him to reveal himself as Father? Have you asked for that? Have you been seeking him? Have you been knocking on the door? Show yourself to me. Have you done that? Because he promises he will. Jesus has bridged that gap between been between holy God and lowly man, so that you can step closer now through Jesus and ask the Father in Heaven to be your Father in heaven. Have you done that? If you haven't, don't delay. Don't miss out. Don't put it off. You can do it now. Come and find one of us. We'd love to pray with you. Please do. But if you're a Christian, you can still struggle with his fatherhood. That's a reality. Sometimes we can picture our understanding of human earthly fatherhood and kind of paint the picture of his fatherhood with that, and it stains it. That's not perfect. His fatherhood is above and beyond, but we can struggle to fully grasp it. You can know that here is an opportunity to ask him to help you receive and know more of his fatherhood at work in you through Holy Spirit. I'd love to just pray for us. As Bob then leads. Bob and Rachel will then lead us in response. Let me pray. Father, Papa, Daddy, Father in heaven, we 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 can <laughs> just the fact that we can call you that, you've made that possible, and we thank you, and we celebrate you for that, and we. Love you for that. We just ask for your help. Jesus tells us that you're ready and willing to give us more of Holy Spirit all the time. We say, Holy Spirit, will you come and reveal to us? Open our eyes more. Show us more of the Father's fatherhood and his intent and his provision and his heart for us. He sings love songs over us. Let us sense that. Let us know that. The the one thing above all that we seek is more of you. Lord do we want more of you? We need more of you. And you tell us to ask. So simply we are asking. Even there's next few moments as we sing songs, as we pray, whatever it might be. Lord, may this be a moment where something unlocks in all of our hearts and all our spirits that isn't just about today but goes way beyond with a fresh sense of your fatherhood over us, your care for us, and what you want to do in us far more than what you want to do around us. We're here for you as your kids. We say, will you come and will you have your way amongst us? In Jesus' name, amen.